We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. everyone and welcome back to another episode of a pack a day podcast wherever you may be and however you may be listening thank you so much for making this part of your day my name is nick schmitz i'll be your host today and do we have a great show lined up for you today and it is wednesday and we we're sitting here with the packers being five and one and again they find a way to win monday night against the lions uh just up front real quick uh no discussion of referees today. We're not even going to be focusing on that. I am so sick of it. We just we're just not going to talk about it. So, five and one. A lot of us probably didn't see the Packers sitting here at five and one, three and zero oh in the division. It's a great feeling. There's lots of work left to be done, and that starts on a short week coming. You stay at home at Lambeau, which is nice with a short week, but. Raiders coming to town this Sunday off a of bye. They're coming off of a big win over the Bears uh, in London two weeks ago, which was nice in one respect because it's always nice when the Bears lose, but uh, could also maybe play a role in how they feel. They're 3-2 and two coming into this Sunday, probably looking a lot better than what most of us thought the Raiders would be looking like especially given all the Antonio Brown drama and just kind of how poorly of a run organization the Raiders are. But nonetheless, a good opponent coming up this Sunday at Lambeau. 
five and one, looking to move to six and one. And just think about it like this, guys: if Green Bay beats the Raiders this weekend through seven weeks, they'll have matched their win total from all of last year. So that's exciting in one sense, also kind of sad when you think about it in another. But we're gonna we're gonna remain positive. We're looking for that sixth win, making it six and one. So. Uh, joining me today, Maggie, Jacob, both back again this week. And I mean, we're sitting here at five and one and I know it, it seems like we talk about it every week, but Maggie, I'll start with you. We didn't think the Packers would be sitting here at five and one. It really, realistically, did we think they would be five and one six weeks into the season? No, we didn't. I can't remember exactly what my prediction was, but I think I had them at four and two at this point, which to me I had said was still optimistic given this is a brand new offense, um, second year of a relatively new defense. Um, so to be five and one, I think the most impressive part of all of that is the fact that they're three and zero in the division. I don't think anyone really expected that going into the season, but it likely will pay dividends later on in the season as you know, the entire NFC North is wide open right now. So Whoever gets hot late, these games are going to matter. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that's kind of been a big point where they're 3-0 and now and they're six weeks into the season and they don't see another division opponent again until, what is it, week 15 when they finish their last three games at Minnesota or I think it's Chicago at home, then Minnesota, at Minnesota and at Detroit. So, right. Jacob, I know – I, I believe you didn't have them sitting at five and one. Most people didn't, but I mean, how good does it feel right now to be sitting at five and one? I did, for the record. Oh, um, oh well, I, I'm glad to be wrong. But so, yeah. all right, well, take us through it then. You had them sitting at five and one. Take us through it. I did. It feels good. I just thought the way the home schedule started the season, uh, the one game that I've missed on, I had them beating Philadelphia, but I had them losing at Dallas. Uh, so, if you think about it, the They've basically done that. They just flipped those two games. Uh, but, I mean, they're a resilient team. They they don't make the same mistakes twice, it seems like. Uh, the issues that they have are not coaching-related, intangible-related, anything like that. When they do have issues, it appears to be something that is coached and fixed. Uh, if it's not fixed, it's because they're deficient in that particular area, which uh, I'm sure we can talk about in terms of pass-catching options and stuff like that. But it's nice to see uh, – actual adjustments being made the team is winning in a different way than they are used to and then what we are conditioned as Packers fans as to a way that of winning and it looks good quote unquote because you hear plenty of people complaining after these games that oh it didn't look pretty or whatever and like this is how they win now uh, I think they win on defense they win by making big plays on defense ball control on offense running the ball uh, play action passing they can still do the things they used to do. You saw that uh, against Philadelphia where Rodgers can go into 2011 Aaron Rodgers mode very quickly, but they don't need that. And that's the nice thing about this year's team is when Rod, I mean, Rodgers played fantastic on Monday night, I thought. Um, and unfortunately some of his helpers on the team let him down. Uh, so his stat line doesn't look as good as it probably should, but this is why we watch the games and can't just read box scores to tell you, who's good and who's not. Rodgers was phenomenal uh, the other night, but he doesn't have to be – he doesn't have to throw five touchdowns in a game for the team to win anymore. They can rely on their defense and their role player. And they play. I think they play really good complementary football, and that's something they haven't done in a really long time. I know there are some things on special teams that you'd probably like to get cleaned up, kickoff coverage mostly. Darius Shepard fumbling a punt is an ideal, but that's far from a – 
an issue at this point since it's only happened the one time. But they don't make the same mistakes twice, and that's something that I don't think could be said in the last couple of years. With all due respect uh, to Mike McCarthy, he certainly has earned some respect from Packers Nation, even though I think they're a little disrespectful to him because of recency bias. But that is what it is. Uh, it's good to see, and they're getting better and better. And honestly, I had them at 5-1, and one, uh, but I didn't think I would feel as good about it as I do at this point. I just thought some things played to their advantage to start the season. Well, you know, and it's interesting that you talk about how they don't make the same mistake twice and they're they're winning in different ways than than they have been. And the one thing that I've noticed in the last couple of couple of weeks is it seems like, you know, when when adversity arises, it seems like someone's always willing to and does so well stepping up. And I think we saw that a, a great example of that in a couple of ways in Monday's game. Uh, you know, Aaron Jones is clearly the guy uh, as far as the running back goes uh, on the team, but he really struggled Monday. And Jamal Williams, to his credit, I mean, he stepped up. He played a major role in that win against against the Lions on Monday. And I mean, that's just that's things that you're looking for. And then and then you look at the receiving group. Geronimo Allison goes out with a chest and concussion injury. Uh, Valdez Scantling gets hurt. He's able to come back in the game, though. Darius Shepard has a pass bounce off his face mask. And it's just like you're looking at it and it's like, well, what are they going to do? And then you have Alan Lazard, who is not done anything as far as the roster's concerned, and he stepped up in a big way. He led the team with four receptions. He had the 35-yard touchdown reception. He had a big third-down reception near the end of the game. So players are stepping up in, in big ways for this team when there seems to be adversity with a certain position, injuries, whatever it might be. So that's something that you really like to see with your team. So five and one. Hopefully you all out there are feeling as good about it as we are here. It's exciting. It it's it's really weird to say this that it feels weird to be 5 and 1 considering that I was 18 years old when they won the Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. So I've really for I mean I was born the day after Brett Favre came in for Don Mikowski. So all I've really known is winning. So it's kind of, it's weird for me to sit here and say that it's weird to be 5 and 1 and feel like good about winning because of how spoiled we've been and how where the last two seasons have gone. But nonetheless, it's fun. It's great. It's uh, And, you know, every game matters. So, well, let's quickly take a quick look back at the Lions game. We're going to be talking about the Packers defense and how they match up this weekend against the Raiders offense. So I want to start quickly by just looking back at the Lions game a little bit. Uh, the start of the game for the defense was not great. Two possessions, giving up two home run plays very quickly to the Lions, but ultimately holding them to only one touchdown, which I know, Jacob, you probably going to want to argue wasn't a touchdown. Because uh, it wasn't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, nonetheless, five field goals, one touchdown, giving up 22 points. They did what they needed to do to make sure the offense would, was able to stay in the game. So it didn't start out great, but they finished strong. So, Maggie, just some quick takeaways about your thoughts of how the defense looked Monday against the Lions. I mean, I think the entire kind of mantra of this team on defense, especially when you are in a situation like they were in the Eagles game where their backs were against the wall, they've kind of turned to this bend, don't break mentality. And I know they say that a lot, you know, with the defense, but giving up 20 points in the red zone or just 
within field goal range and not being able to convert on third down, um, making the Lions settle for those long field goals instead of potentially getting a touchdown. I mean, one touchdown changes the entire outcome of the game at this point. So, you know, the Packers defense really tightened up when they needed to. Um, And I think they've kind of proved that week in and week out is that they can be what this team needs to keep them in the game and give Aaron Rodgers another chance. So one of my favorite parts from the Smiths who like to interview together, you know, everyone remembers Aaron Rodgers saying we got a defense yesterday. uh, Zadarius Smith said we got an offense and Preston Smith said we got Aaron Rodgers. So just the dynamic that this team has knowing that when one side of the ball is up, the other side is able, or when one side is down, the other side is up. Um, I really like the way that this, this defense um, has proven to be resilient and getting those stops when the Lions crossed midfield was huge. I mean, outside of the touchdown that maybe wasn't a touchdown, um, the Lions didn't put up much of a fight all night regarding getting into the actual red zone. So it was, it was a big statement game for an emerging defense. Yeah, absolutely. And Jacob, I just want to get some quick thoughts from what you thought of Monday night's game. Now I was doing some math here. Um, so the this was kind of a big point, and I think it speaks a lot to how well the defense is playing. Uh, one thing that you noted after the game Monday was that the Lions only had 58 yards of offense in the second half, and I was just doing the quick math here. They only had 299 yards the entire game, and if you take away the two big pass plays that they uh, obtained through the air on their first two drives – if you now granted you have to give them credit for those but if you exclude those two plays the rest of the offense in the first half only had 177 yard, or 117 yards if you had the 58 in the second half you take away their two big plays they only had 175 yards of offense which i mean the scoreboard would say that you probably don't give up 22 points with 175 yards of offense but i mean it seems almost bizarre nowadays, even for a team, and I, I don't like to say a team like the Lions, but they just kind of seem like that franchise where things don't always go their way. But, I mean, it seems even bizarre for a team like the Lions to only gain 58 yards and a half of football, especially the second half in which they led almost the entire game. I mean, Green Bay did not have a lead in Monday night's game until Mason Crosby's field goal at the end of the game. That was their first lead of the game. So how do you explain only giving up 58 yards and a half to a quarterback like Matt Stafford and the receiving group that they have? I think Maggie touched on it after the first game of the season. Aaron Rodgers said, we got a defense, and they do. Uh, I think that what what you discussed there was it's kind of the story of the season a little bit. This defense is – in some games, not necessarily like the Dallas game or the Eagles game, for example, but in some of these games, a player two away from just dominant performances, uh, the 75 yard run by Dalvin cook. You mentioned those plays uh, for Detroit, even, I mean, even the Cowboys game, Dak Prescott throwing up a couple of prayers late in the game that happened to get answered. That brings that yardage total down, but they certainly weren't dominant in that game. There was a play where, Green Bay was playing Denver, and Kevin King lost a ball in the lights, and that turned into a big reception when it probably either should have been knocked down at minimum, if not intercepted. But it's just a different. Like, I mean, we talk so much about scheme and you know who these coaches are and all this stuff. And Mike Pettin's a great coach. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, 
this is the same coach they had last season where they finished, you know, near the bottom of the league. What's the difference? They got players now. Darius Smith is a player. Preston Smith is a player. Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, Jerry Alexander is better than the player they had last year. Kenny Clark. I mean, they have so many guys on this defense that can play and they make big plays. Jim Johnson was the former Eagles defensive coordinator and he's passed away since, but he used to say he didn't care about yardage. He cared about sacks, turnovers, and those are the big two things that he was really worried about the most. Well, the Packers sacked the quarterback at a really high clip. Zadarius and Preston Smith both have at least six sacks. Preston's at seven. They have 13 and a half sacks through six games now. And they didn't get a turnover last night, but their turnovers have typically come in bunches. So, I mean, they have a really good big play defense that's also capable, as you saw last night, of shutting things down. After, and I mean, I know you said we weren't going to focus on this, Nick, but for all the people focusing on the referees, I'll say this. It was 19-13 to 13 when the ball bounced off of Darius Shepard's face mask and was intercepted. The Lions are in Packers territory. They go three and out and have to kick a 50-something yard field goal. Would have been very easy, and I promise you, any defense in the last 10 years, Matthew Stafford is dancing in the end zone. He's not last night. Why? Because their defense is better, and it's because they have better players. I know that that's very simple, but sometimes I think we overcomplicate this game and how many things can change and things of that nature. I'll, I'll go to the Rams, for example. Sean McVay is lauded as this genius, and the Rams' offense can't get out of their own way. Why? Todd Gurley's not Todd Gurley anymore. Cooper Cup isn't the same player he was last year, and Brandon Cooks isn't having the same impact as he was. Did Sean McVay become less of a genius? No, their players stink, or at least they have stunk, I should say. The Packers have better players. It's not Nick Perry and Clay Matthews. Good players when they had their times. Their times were up. That's not the case anymore. Kevin King is healthy. Jair Alexander is playing well. If they can keep Savage and Amos healthy, that's a really good back four. And then you add in the pass rushers they have. It's a good defense, and that's something that Green Bay hasn't had in a long time, and I don't think that we're sitting back convincing ourselves. For example, the 2014 defense. We were convincing ourselves that was a Super Bowl defense. And it wasn't. It was slightly above average, and they could have gone to the Super Bowl with that defense. But what happened? For all we talk about how the collapse and everything that happened that way, the offense did not play well, and they did not win. And that's just how it was. And the defense certainly deserves some uh, blame for the way that game went as well. So they have a good defense now, and it's because they have good players. Well, good players indeed, and I, I'm sure I can speak for all three three of us here. It's a lot more fun to watch when they have good players and can actually play defense than as opposed to just letting teams run all over you. So, well, let's let's move on to the Raiders game this coming weekend. So, um, really kind of a weird thing that happened to the Packers this year. At least it seems strange, and I know – Back in August, I mentioned this, and it seems strange then, and it seems strange now. Uh, the Packers played the Raiders in the preseason this year, and it was odd for so many reasons, most of which was playing on an 80-yard field. I have it on good authority that Lambeau Field will be fully equipped to play on a 100-yard field come Sunday, so we shouldn't be playing on a makeshift field uh, this weekend. But I want to get both of your guys' takes real quick. I'm assuming the answer's no, but it, it is just kind of interesting to note that you don't typically play a team in the preseason that you then play in the regular season. So is there anything that the Raiders or the Packers, for that matter, could can take away are they really going to go like is I guess at this point would you do you think it would be more valuable to look at tape of actual 
regular season Raiders games to prepare for their offense, or is there something that you can go back and look at on tape with the preseason game? And I know I'm kind of really digging myself into a hole because everybody thought that game was so stupid for being played on an 80-yard field. But, I mean, is there anything you can take away from having played them already and, I guess, actually seen some of them in the preseason? I mean, Maggie, I guess I don't know. It seems like uncharted territory doing something like this. Well, obviously the Raiders watched a bunch of that tape because Trevor Davis had himself a game and now he's a Raider. So that is my biggest takeaway from that preseason game. Um, I think, you know, the biggest example of what the Raiders can be this season is their upset of the Bears in London. And I mean, you know, Bears fans might say that they didn't have Mitch Trubisky, which is probably honestly a blessing in disguise at this point. Um, But the Raiders did whatever they wanted to that Bears team. And I know that we all kind of thought that maybe the Raiders would be one of the few layups on the schedule this season, but they look really good. Derek Carr is playing better than I think maybe a lot of people have given him credit for. Um, Despite the Antonio Brown situation, they still have some talented wide receivers, some speedy guys. They've added Trevor Davis to the mix and they're utilizing him really well. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what this Raiders team looks like at Lambeau Field, given the performance that they had last week. And another interesting dynamic is the fact that the Packers are now facing their second team coming off a bye in two weeks, um, giving the Raiders quite a bit of rest after that Bears game. Um, But I'm sure that's that's a conversation for later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Maggie, you brought up Trevor Davis, and that's a perfect segue to you, Jacob. Trevor Davis was somebody that, I I mean – I guess I was surprised to see the Packers trade him, uh, you know, only, what, two, three weeks into the season. I don't know. Maybe you feel different. Maybe it wasn't a surprise to you. But, I mean, nonetheless, he was on this roster to start the season. Now he's in Oakland. He's coming back to Green Bay to play against the Packers. Does Trevor Davis have any impact either, A, on the field, or can he give any any credence to John Gruden and this offense about this Packers defense from what he was able to see through the first two, three weeks of the season. Yeah, I'm sure there's some of that that he can do. Uh, Ultimately, I don't think that stuff matters nearly as much as people make it out to like, uh, what was it? The Raiders sent Kendall Donerson to their practice squad today. The advantages that are gained from that, I think are minimal. Uh, As for Trevor Davis's impact on the field, they've used him in a variety of ways. I mean, he had, I know he fumbled at the one-yard line, which kind of sums up his career to date relatively perfectly. But, I mean, he had a couple pretty nice plays against the Bears. He had a big touchdown run earlier in the year after he signed or was traded to Oakland. And, I mean, the Raiders are finding ways to use him that the Packers couldn't, which I still don't fully understand. And I'm not going to make Trevor Davis out to be you know, the next coming of Deshaun Jackson. But I thought that there was a skill set that he had that they could use in the offense. And... The Packers disagree. Brian Gutekunst disagrees, and that that is what it is at this point. Uh, we'll see if that ends up mattering. Ultimately, the state of the Packers receiving core isn't all that different if Trevor Davis is on it. I think he had a total in Green Bay of like three catches in four years or something like that. So there's not a lot of production there, I guess, to lean on. But I don't think he's going to have a whole lot of impact uh, in, in Oakland. I think that you know maybe – he can run by one of the guys because, I mean, honestly, thinking about matchups, I mean, Jair Alexander is probably going to draw Tyrell Williams and then Kevin King and Tremont Williams will just kind of play the matchup game from there. But really, defensively, I think 
what I learned the most about the Raiders was their offensive line is good. And that's something that I didn't expect, or at least they played really well against a Chicago team that has a very good front seven and they ran the ball down their throat. Josh Jacobs uh, running behind Colton Miller, who I made fun of pretty frequently when they drafted him. And it turns out he's been a pretty good player. Richie Incognito, say what you will. Uh, I know that there's plenty of credence to that. I mean, he's not a nice person. Uh, there's, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but he's not a nice person, but he's a good offensive lineman. That's why he's on the team. He's done a good job for them from the blocking standpoint when he's not getting flagged for personal fouls. So maybe the Packers can get an advantage that way on him, but he's done well. Trent Brown, they paid a lot of money for to be their right tackle. They've got some players up front and Josh Jacobs is a good running back. Uh, He's helped Derek Carr, who I don't have a very high opinion of. Uh, I think Derek Carr is graded on a curve because he's better than David Carr, but ultimately he's, nothing special in terms of a passer. I definitely think the Packers can harass him on Sunday and get him into some, into some trouble uh, with that. But to answer your initial question, I don't think Davis helps them all that much. Well, and you know, Jacob, you mentioned the offensive line, how they played against the bears in that game against London in London. And I mean, it was actually very surprising, you know, being somebody that watches the bears cause they're in the division. It was very surprising to see how well they ran the ball and, you know, Maggie, I, I want to turn it over to you, Josh Jacobs. He's a rookie out of Alabama. He's been playing really well so far this year. And, you know, it's 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 kind of weird to think about because you had the Eagles game where the Packers defense couldn't stop a nosebleed uh, in the run game. And then, you know, you take that game and you have a 10-day turnaround and you go to Dallas, who's got arguably one of the best offensive lines in the league, along with one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in the league, and you expect Ezekiel Elliott to run all over the defense. The Packers, for many different reasons, were able to hold him to under 75 yards rushing. And you know, and then you talked about at the start of the show here how the Packers really kept the Lions' run, de- or run offense in check as well on Monday. So how does how, how what should we expect from the Packers' run defense – given the way they've played the last two weeks, given what we saw with the Eagles game, and given what we know about Josh Jacobs and this offensive line in Oakland, uh, where do you see that matchup going? And is this going to kind of be one of the keys for this Packers defense in order to be able to keep the Raiders low scoring enough to be able to get the Packers a win? Yeah, so I think that the Raiders really do rely on that run game quite a bit. Um, Josh Jacobs is averaging 86 yards a game. He has four touchdowns on the season. Um, the Raiders rank eighth in the NFL in rushing yards per game. So he is someone that they're utilizing uh, quite a bit. The Packers are 23rd in run defense. So that probably will be the key matchup there. Um, can the Raiders get the run game going? Can the Packers stop the run? Um, but defensively, the Packers held the Lions to their season low, which was 56 yards. Um, Johnson and you know company were only have, averaging like 2.8 yards per carry. So that was, you know, the the first time that the Packers held a running back under 100 yards since the Bears game week one. And I think more of that maybe had to do with the Bears turning away from the run game than really the Packers were stopping the run game. So this is finally the defense coming into their own, understanding how to defend the run. And honestly, someone who I think deserves a lot of credit for that is BJ Goodson, because he's played pretty well these last couple weeks uh, stopping the run. And Dean Lowry also had a really big game Monday night. Um, I know that he got, you know, some praise from Matt LaFleur and his presser after the game, but those are two names that I think have really helped the Packers in that run defense. 
All right. Well, one last thing I want to touch on here before we kind of wrap things up for today. Uh, Excuse me. Um, One of the things that Green Bay struggled with early in the game against Detroit was the deep ball. Uh, Not something that you like to see them give up. But, Jacob, you know, something that they, like like I said, they struggled with a little bit against with the Lions. Are there any kind of deep threats that Oakland has that, that this defense should really be keeping an eye on? We know Trevor Davis is a speedy guy, but given what we know about him, we're not sure exactly how well he'll be utilized in the pass game. Um, is, but is there anybody else on this Raiders roster that can really beat you deep? Tyrell Williams. That was the guy for the Chargers offense last year, and they miss him this year. I know they've got Mike Williams and Hunter Henry came back, and they've got some weapons. But Tyrell Williams was somebody who made that offense go because he could stretch the field. He does that for Oakland now. Uh, and it's something, I mean, it's not a small thing uh, when you're talking about, I mean, with all due respect, Will Redmond's a nice role player. He's not Darnell Savage. Uh, and Shannon Sullivan, again, a nice role player, but this defense is definitely better uh, when Savage is on the field, breaking news there, right? But Tyrell Williams is their guy, and I think that's, again, why he'll draw Jair Alexander uh, for the most of the game. He's not a bigger guy, but he has that downfield threat. This is a guy a lot of people wanted the Packers to go after in the offseason when they were looking at wide receivers. Now, he ended up getting a really big contract, you can argue that maybe they should have given that contract that they gave Billy Turner to Tyrell Williams, but they didn't. So, you know, no sense really reopening that can of worms, I guess. But he's a good player. Uh, and if the Raiders are able to utilize Josh Jacobs, that's somebody I could definitely see making a big play down the field. I mean, that's Mike Pettin talks about it every week, too, how really the Packers defense, their, their biggest bugaboo this year has been giving up big plays, whether that was big runs against – Uh, The Philadelphia Eagles, big plays in the passing game against the Cowboys, big plays in the passing game against the uh, the Lions last night. There's just – that's their one thing. If they can clean that up, and I know that that's a phrase used by the coaches a lot, but if they can clean that up, they can definitely become a dominant unit. So that starts and stops, I think, on Sunday with uh, Tyrell Williams. So I'm interested to see what they do and how they do those things, but – Keep them off field. I don't think Derek Carr can beat you on 10, 12 play drives. I just, I don't. All right. Well, there you have it. So there's kind of the key matchups, breakdowns of Packers defense versus the Raiders offense this weekend. It'll definitely be probably a better game than we were all like, I believe Maggie, you'd mentioned probably a better game than we were all anticipating uh, when, when the schedule first came out, but you know, it's. It, I would actually almost rather beat and have better teams on your schedule because then you know you can play with the best of the best. So should be an interesting game. But that's all the time we have today. Uh, quickly, guys, before we wrap up here, uh, I, I forgot to do this last week, so I'm going to make sure that I don't forget to do it this week. Uh, if people, Maggie, if people want to follow your work, how can they do that? You can find me at Maggie J. Loney on Twitter. I also write for Cheesehead TV. And as I've stated in the past, I would die for Malifleur. Well, you know, you say that, and my wife 100% agrees with you, and she is now adding Mason Crosby to that list. Yeah, she came up with a theory last year, Jacob. I don't think I told you this at the time, but we all remember that game in Detroit last year where Mason Crosby very much had, um, we would just, we'll just call it not one of his better games. And uh, I had mentioned that maybe the Packers should consider cutting him and... Uh, uh, Annie had suggested maybe she should just cut me, like physically, not really, but uh, she she had she came up with this puppy theory that every team needs a team puppy and a team hugger. 
So when when you have boo boos like that, there's a puppy on the sideline, and somebody give you a hug. And yeah, if you ever if you ever thinking that, gee, maybe they should cut this player, just think about Mason and think about the puppy. Because everybody loves puppies, I think. I don't know. I, everybody I know likes puppies, so I, I think that's where it comes from. But just everybody needs a hug and a nice puppy, and it'll all be good. So, um, But, uh, Jacob, if people want to follow you on Twitter, follow your work, how can they do that? Yeah, I work for Packer Reports. You can follow that at Packer Report 66 I actually had a story come out today about Maggie's favorite mermaid, so check that out for Jay Swag Daddy. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jacob Westendorf, and it's mostly pictures of the baby at this point. So if you're into those, uh, feel free to comment on how cute she is because she's pretty much perfect. She is very I adorable. Also, I would also die for the mermaid and uh, Jacob for your child. So Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I too, <laughs> would die for the baby. So, uh, <laughs> But not Jamal. <laughs> no, not Jamal. Sorry, Jamal. Love you, but not enough to not enough to die for you, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at SportsSchmitty. Um, and as Jacob says, I don't know, Jacob, is it getting any better? Is the follow getting any better? It is. Yeah, you've got your little your blog that comes out every so often. So I like to point out that it talks and uh, that usually leads to your wife making a joke or two about it. So, I mean, it's pretty entertaining. What were we going back and forth? Oh, we wanted Annie on the show and that didn't happen. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm now in the process of getting more equipment to make that happen. So maybe, maybe sometime in the next couple of weeks, I'm sure all she'll do is come on here and say how she would die for Matt LaFleur and Mason Crosby. And that would be about <laughs> it. So, um, but you know, it could be fun. So, uh, but, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at SportsMitty, and I guess uh, you, whenever I have blog posts, I'm trying to do it weekly uh, just to, for some of my own writing. Uh, I'll just post that on Twitter. There's no website uh, like Maggie and Jacob here. I'm not as sophisticated as the two of them. So uh, with that, uh, make sure that you are liking and subscribing to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And make sure you're – we're talking about Twitter here, so make sure you're following the Packaday podcast on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Five and one, it feels great. Let's make it six and one this weekend over the Raiders. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And as always, go pack them.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.